today, something that I've been, I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, it came out on the news that there were two prominent people in the Christian faith who actually turned their backs on their faith. One was a, best, uh, a New York Times best-selling author. He was a pastor of a, of a significant church, and he turned his back. Another was a songwriter, someone in the worship world who... Even when I was a worship leader, Pastor Jared was a worship leader, we did a bunch of his songs. His songs were sung around the world. These two people turned their back on their Christian faith, saying, I, I no longer believe. And I looked at that, and it, it began to boggle my mind, but also challenge me. Because I looked at that, not in a judgmental way. I looked at it in thinking, wow, if these guys made this decision, what do I need to do in my life to make sure I don't fall into that trap? Because none of us are invincible in life. Don't ever think that, that you're invincible. If you make the wrong choices in life, you can head down the wrong way. And I want to share with you a couple of things today of where we need a safeguard in our life so we don't fall into that place. I want to start with a couple of terms that maybe you've heard before, but I just want to define them real quick. The first is the word agnostic. Agnostic. An agnostic is someone who doesn't know whether or not God is real. So they'll basically, they don't believe because they don't know. God could be real. He, maybe he's not real. I'm not sure, so I don't believe. The second term is the word atheist. Maybe you heard this. Maybe you were an atheist before. An atheist is somebody who simply made up their mind that God isn't real. He doesn't exist. So Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, God, they're all in the same basket. All right, and if you're a kid here, I just blew what you believed in, but you should have been in Kidventure anyway, so I'm sorry. All right, this is the adult service. That's an atheist. I heard a funny story. An atheist is walking through the forest one day. All of a sudden, he hears the leaves rustling, branches breaking. He turns around. There's a 700-pound grizzly bear coming down on him. Just as he's about to swipe him with his paw, he falls backward, and he yells out, God, help me. Everything freezes. A bright light shines from heaven, and God says, all right. So after all these years, you finally decide you need my help. He said, well, I'm sorry. I know all this time I didn't believe. And if you won't help me, at least can you make the bear a Christian bear? <laughs> well, all of a sudden, the light disappears. The bear puts his paw down. He gets down. He puts his paws together and says, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the food <laughs> that I'm about to partake of. funny story. Even if you're an atheist, you got to laugh. Come on. Here's a, here's a third word is this, apostasy. Apostasy. Let me read the definition of that. Turning against God as evidenced by abandonment and reputation of former beliefs. The term genuine, generally refers to a deliberate renouncing of the faith by a once sincere believer rather than a state of ignorance or mistaken knowledge. An atheist, an agnostic, they can be mistaken in what they believe, but someone who experiences apostasy in their life, they've experienced the good things of God, and they've decided to renounce their faith. Now, what happens in Christian circles, people debate whether or not you can, and here's the term that I grew up hearing, backslide. Can you backslide? There are some people who will say you can't backslide. If you fall away from your faith, then you were never genuinely saved to begin with. I think about my dad's testimony. When he was 16 years old, he gave his life to the Lord, genuinely converted. But guess what? He began hanging around the wrong people. 
going back to his old habits, and he fell away until he was 19 years old, and he came back to the Lord. And I think it, it's, that's a lot to come out and tell someone, well, you were never genuinely saved. You know, when you look in the Bible, in the New Testament, you find scriptures that back up the fact that you can go back to your old life. Just because we surrender our life to the Lord doesn't mean that God takes control of our will. It would be easy, right? Don't you agree with me? All of you here, Santa Paula, all of you joining online, if God could just take control of our will and make all the choices for us, I wish I could do that so that I always do the right thing, but that's not the fact. How many know every one of you today, you had to decide whether or not you were gonna come to church? God didn't pull you out of bed, dip you in the shower, hopefully brush your teeth, get you dressed, and drop you here in higher vision. You had to decide. You need to decide every day whether or not you're gonna read the word of God, serve God, hang around the right people. You have to decide. You still have your will. And people will say, well, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's absolutely true. There's nothing you can do that will stop God from loving you, but you can decide whether or not you wanna serve God. It's your decision. In fact, if you look in the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 6, Verse 4, it says, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once what? Enlightened. Those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come. That's not describing someone who didn't have a genuine experience. You're talking about someone who experienced the good things of God. Someone who experienced all those things, and it goes on to say, and who then turn away from God, it is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. Now, when you look at that verse, does that mean once you turn your back on God, it's too late, you can never come back? Uh, not exactly. What it means is this. I, this is my example that I thought of. Imagine you have a boat. You got a boat with a motor on it. You go down to the harbor, and you get in the harbor, and you head out in the Pacific Ocean towards Japan at full speed for two hours all by yourself. And you get into the middle of the ocean, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the ocean, you decide, I hate this boat. I hate this boat. And so what do you do? You jump out of the boat. And now you're floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, in the middle of nowhere, and you're looking at that boat saying, you dumb boat. You're such a dumb boat. I don't know why I ever got on that boat. I am never getting back on that boat again. Well, what's going to happen to you sooner or later? You're going to die. You're going to die. Either you're going to be shark food. Hopefully it's a Christian shark. I don't know. You're going to be shark bait. Or you're going to drown unless you get back on the boat. The boat's the only thing that can save you. You know when you turn your back on the grace of God? The only thing that can save you is the grace of God. It's not our works. And when you turn your back on your faith and you deny the grace of God, it's impossible. It's impossible for you to experience salvation. Nobody can make you get back on the boat. I can't force you back on the boat. You have to decide to get back on the boat. You have to decide to come back to experience the grace of God. And you know, the very characteristic of that sin of apostasy consists of the fact of rejecting the very means of grace. 
the very means of grace that had previously been employed and experienced in our life that brought us to the Lord. It's so important. You see, what happens is when you get to that place, there's a hardening of the heart where the only thing that can save you, you reject. Your heart gets hard. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul tells us there to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. We have to be on guard. When I think about these two people who for years and years and years served God, I'm convinced that they didn't just wake up one morning and out of the blue say, I don't believe anymore. I don't believe. I'm done. This stuff ain't real. I'm convinced it wasn't that. I think it was a slope that they began to go down. They began having conversations with people they shouldn't have had conversations with. There were beliefs that they began reinforcing, maybe disappointments of things that happened in their life. And it, it began to challenge them, and they began to look in the wrong places for answers. You know, today, you got to be careful who you're listening to. Just because somebody's on TV and it looks like it's a cool-looking church doesn't mean they're speaking truth. Just because they're dressed nice and say the right things doesn't mean it's truth. you got to test the spirits. Test the spirits. Every single one of us. There are smarter people than us today that have been led astray because they listen to the wrong voices. Every single one of us, every single one of you at Santa Paula, test those spirits. It wasn't an overnight decision. It's an influence that begins to come. First Peter says in 5.8, we need to stay alert. Stay alert. Why? Watch out for the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Growing up in church, you know, the devil was always referred to as kind of like this little toothless chihuahua that couldn't do anything, so don't worry about the devil. That's not what Peter said. He didn't say, watch out for the, for the devil. He's walking around like a tiny little f- fluffy little putty cat that wants to rub up on your leg and get some lint on your pants. He said roaring lion. I don't know about you. I don't want to mess around with no roaring lion. And that's why we need to be alert. Don't play with sin. It will take, if you play with sin long enough, it will take you down. Look at Samson's story. It will take you down. As Jesus was addressing the disciples on his way to the cross, he's talking to them. And this is what he says in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. See, Satan has asked. Here's a couple of things. Number one is this. There is a spiritual attack that we face in our life. The spiritual attack. Satan asked to sift you. He's telling the disciples. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to shake your faith. And I'm convinced the devil would love to shake every single one of us that's here today. Whoever, Nevada, Kansas, Hawaii, Sweden, Santa Paula. The devil would love to shake and sift our faith. There is a spiritual attack. We can't deny that the devil wants to shake our faith. But here's the second part. Jesus says, I love what Jesus said. This is a prayer that I prayed over my kids a number of times. I've pleaded that your faith will not fail. Jesus is our great intercessor, and I believe even today Jesus is praying for every single one of you that your faith will not fail. Through the rough times of life, that your faith will not fail. 
I don't think intercessor is just one group of people. I think we're all called to be intercessors today. God's going to place people on your heart, on your life at times. You're going to just think of somebody. You say, well, I don't know what to pray. Pray that their faith will not fail. It's what Jesus prayed. Pray that over your children. Pray that over your spouses. Come on, pray that over your pastor and his family, that your faith will not fail. There is a spiritual attack. And Jesus prayed and he interceded. I see even in our country, even in the United States of America, there's a, there's a spiritual attack on the Christian faith. Don't make any jokes about any other religion, but how many know that Christianity is always open game? Take God's name in vain. It's okay. You can, and I think it's a deliberate attack by the enemy to kind of chip away at our faith, to make us feel that we have to be in a place where we have to be quiet, where we can't speak up in things. It's a spiritual attack. How do you fight a spiritual attack with spiritual weapons? That's prayer. We need to pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for those in your circles. Pray for those in this church. Pray, pray. Be mindful that the devil is out to shake our faith, but we can resist that. Jesus prayed that our faith will not fail. Here's a second thing that we face that will begin to erode our faith, and that's social pressure. Social pressure. You know, as Jesus was on trial on his way to the cross, Peter was there. We, we know that Peter was nearby the whole time. Now, this was a hostile crowd. So I'm, I'm not dogging on Peter. It was a hostile crowd. This was the crowd that wanted Barabbas the murderer released rather than Jesus, all right? This was the hostile crowd. So I get why Peter felt this way. But here's Peter, and they're standing around, and he's keeping an eye on Jesus. All this is going on, and someone says, hey, aren't you the guy that used to follow Jesus? Peter's like, no, that wasn't me. I don't even know him. A little later, someone else says, hey, I recognize you. You used to follow Jesus. He's like, oh, no, keep it down. I don't even know who Jesus is. Why, why are you even saying that? And finally, a third person comes and says, I, I remember seeing you with Jesus. And this is Peter curses him. Peter says, I don't even know who he is. And at that moment, the rooster crows. Jesus looks over at Peter, and Peter begins to weep bitterly. He denied Jesus three times. It was that social pressure. And you know, for all of us here, social pressure can back us into the corner too. And maybe you feel that in your family. Maybe it's at your job. Maybe you go to school or you're in university and you feel that social pressure. My kids have come home and they've told me some of the things that teachers have already said, trying to set find out what people believe in and my daughter in this and that where I mean I've, I've called the school already and I said so what's what's going on why are they asking these kind of questions there, there's those questions that are pushing us into that area and that's why I can't encourage you enough parents if you have kids that you teach them apologetics they say what's apologetics do we is that how we learn to apologize for what we believe in no apologetics is teachings that help us understand why we believe what we believe. They're the answers to the tough questions, the things that people say, if God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? That's apologetics. And in fact, I heard that in SGI, the Spiritual Growth Institute, in the next, I think next week, there's an apologetics class that's actually happening. If you haven't found a class yet, get into that class. Learn what you believe. It's important. I even told our 
In our youth ministry, I said the first month of every, when school starts, I want us to go through apologetics. Because there are going to be people now, they're teachers that are going to be saying things that kids are going to look up to as being smarter than them. Things that are totally against what the Bible says. I want our kids to know why they believe what they believe. They don't need to get into an argument with the teacher. I just want them to know why they believe. Because if they don't have the answers, that's when they can begin to drift. And, and here's the other thing. It's not just for the kids. Some of you adults need to learn this stuff too. You need to learn so that when social pressure comes, you can take a stand. You can stand. When people ask you the hard questions, wouldn't it be great if you could have the good answers? There's social pressure that we face, learn, learn those things. Here's a third reason why people turn in their faith. It's simply this, misconceptions of who Jesus was and who he is and what he was supposed to do. You think about the disciples, they gave up their lives. They gave up everything in their life and for three years they followed Jesus. And they were never really clear on the real mission of Jesus. Even when Jesus told them, they didn't get it. And I understand if we were at that time too, we wouldn't have got it also. But here, they're confused, right? Jesus is the king. Is he going to be the king that delivers them from Rome and, and this and that? And we know that Jesus came to deliver us from sin. But they, they were hearing all these things, and they didn't really get it, but they were following him. They saw him do miracles. They saw all these things, and then the guy they were following, now all of a sudden, he's hanging dead on the cross. And I can't imagine what the disciples were thinking at that moment. But basically, what happened to them happens to us. Life didn't play out the way we thought it should. They had other thoughts of what Jesus was going to do. It didn't play out that way. And maybe for some of you here today, life didn't play out the way you thought it would. Maybe it was the death of a spouse. Maybe it was a divorce. It could be something that happened with your children or your parents in your job in your health. You were believing for a miracle and you thought the miracle was going to happen, but it didn't. Not the way you thought it was going to happen. And now instead of loving God, you're actually upset at God. You still come to church. You, you still go to a circle. You, you still read your Bible, but inside there's some resentment because God didn't do what you thought he was going to do. And now you're upset because your prayers weren't answered. I think about what Jesus said in Matthew eleven six. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. There's a lot of Christians that are actually offended by Jesus because it didn't play out the way they thought they would. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. God isn't a genie in the bottle. We don't get to rub the bottle and get three wishes. And he has to do whatever he says. I, I want you to get this. God is sovereign. He's sovereign. You say, what, is, what does that mean, sovereign? It simply means God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. He's not bound by our wishes. He is a sovereign God. And one of the best decisions I've made in my life years ago, I came to the conclusion that I am never going to understand everything that happens in my life. I'm never going to understand There'll be things that happen that, that will get me disappointed and I'll never understand, but I'm gonna have to simply trust in God because no matter what happens, he's always a good God. And I've come to peace that when I get to the other side of eternity, I'll probably look back and then I'll understand, oh, that's why 
I went through this. That's why that happened. That's why. That's why. Oh, now I get it. Now I get it. If we get stuck on trying to understand and being disappointed and not understand, there's going to be those misconceptions. And you know what? It's actually going to turn our heart away from God. I love the book of Job. When you look in the book of Job, that, that will mess up your theology. Job messes it up, messes it up. What a, what a great example about the sovereignty of God. If you and I were God, any one of us here, anybody in Santa Paula, any, anybody join us online, if you were God and Satan came to you and said, hey, hey God, I want to mess up somebody's life, I think we'd all probably have the same answer. We think for a second, go, I got the perfect guy, man. This guy is cheating on his wife. He beats his kids and he kicks the dog every time he comes home. Go mess up his life. <laughs> he deserves it. That's what we do. What did God do? He's like, um, man, you know this guy, Job? He, he, um, he loves me like nobody else. He worships me like everyone else. He sacrifices to me all the time. Yeah, go mess up his life. You're like, what? He's the good guy. And some of you here, you're, you're going through hell on earth and you're, you keep thinking, God must hate me. You know what I'm, you might be God's favorite. <laughs> Chew on that. That's honestly, that's what I say now. Like, God, you must really like me. When I'm going through it, God, you must really like me. That's the sovereignty of God. I can't explain it. But if we have those misconceptions, that's what happened to Job. He lost his kids. He lost, he lost his wealth. He even lost his health. He's covered there with boils. And then for the next, almost the entire the rest of the book of Job, his friends show up and they all sit in a circle and they tell Job everything he did wrong with his life and why everything was happening to him. And Job chimes in on this and that. And it's kind of just a pity party for all those chapters, but then you get to chapter 38. You put your seatbelt on in chapter 38, because you say, what happens in chapter 38? God shows up in a whirlwind. God's like, all right, you guys been talking about me enough? You've been asking all these questions about me enough? Get ready. Stand up, Job. Stand up like a man, because I got a few questions for you. If that wouldn't make the hair of your legs fall off, I don't know what will. <laughs> He goes, I got a few questions for you, Job. You, you, guys, you guys think you got it all figured out. Let, let me ask you this. Where were you when I formed the earth? Where, where were you when the earth was formed? Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky, when the angels were singing, when, when I told the ocean you can only go so far? Job, have you ever told the sun to come up in the morning? Do you know where darkness hides? Huh, you think you got it all figured out? Come, come on, tell me, Job. Tell me, because I know these things. I know these things. See, sometimes we got questions for God. Be careful. He might ask you something too. And really, when you look at that, he asks those questions. Why? It was simply to remind them, you guys don't even have a clue what's happening. You don't even understand why these things are going on. And you know, in our life today, we have all these misconceptions of God because we think that God is there to serve us rather than us here to serve him. Even when times are tough, even when we don't understand it, we need to trust in the Lord. And here, here's the last thing, and it's simply this, pride. Pride. Pride can take us 
the wrong way. You look at the life of Peter, I think one of the things Peter struggled with is pride. You know, Jesus, he confronted Peter about him denying him. What, what did Peter say in Luke 22, 33? He said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. How many know that wasn't true at that moment? Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. There's, there's that pride that blinded Peter in his life. In fact, if you read a little earlier, Peter, if you, if you look at the story, Jesus is talking that he was going to die. Peter takes Jesus on the side and he rebukes Jesus. Who has the audacity to rebuke Jesus? He's like, hey, Jesus, I, I got to talk to you. Can, can we come? You know, you've been talking about all this death and stuff, and uh, you're kind of making the fellas a little nervous here, and I think you kind of need to just tone it down. Peter, and Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Satan, if Jesus calls you Satan, oh my goodness, <laughs> Peter was called Satan. And that's why we need, to, we need to be on the alert in our life. You know what Peter, what Peter should have said was probably, Lord, Teach me how to stand strong. How can I stand strong? Not, I'll go to the end with you. How, how can I stand strong in these moments in my life? That humble position rather than pride, because pride can blind us all. And, and if I can make simply an observation, and it's not a judgment, please hear my heart, not, an, not a judgment, but just an observation. One thing that I notice with, with a lot of atheists is that they're just very prideful. They're prideful, and, and they'll look down at people of faith. They'll look down at you because you believe in it. It's kind of like, oh, well, you, you're so cute. You, know, you believe in God and, and all that. Us adults here, we'll, we'll keep everything running with science, but that's, that's fine, whatever you want to believe. You know, I just saw a tweet that came out by one of the top atheists in the road where he said something basically along the lines, right? If Jesus was, was smart, he would have been an atheist himself. And I thought, wow, what a prideful statement to make. And there's that pride that blinds people, that pride to say there is no God. There is no God. Everything that we see here, it's, it's because of us. We've science and, and whatever it is. There is no God. And I look at that and say, well, I guess you got it all figured out then. You realize we live on a tiny blue speck that's floating in the middle of the universe. A tiny blue speck, and you and I are specks on the speck. We're, we're here, and we can see out. Just, just so far, we can see out, and, and there are people that have come to the conclusion, yeah, we, we can see this far. Yeah, there is no God. There, there, there's, there's nothing else out there. I want to show you this picture real quick. I love this picture. I saw this years ago, and I saw it from a distance, and, and you can see it's a picture picture of, of, the, of the universe here, kind of a, a wide-angle shot. And they estimate, okay, we, we live in the Milky Way. We live in the Milky Way. That's the name of our galaxy. And in our galaxy alone, they estimate, or right, I'm going to throw some numbers at you, that there's something between 200 to 400 billion stars in our galaxy. 200 to 400 billion stars, all right? That's a, that's a 400 with nine zeros. In our galaxy alone, now, in the larger galaxies, they would estimate that there are over one trillion stars in those galaxies. I mean, that's a lot of stars. 
that's a, that's a lot of suns. And in the universe, they estimate that there is something between 100 to 300 billion galaxies. How many know that's big? I love this picture because it was up on a wall in an astronomy center, and I was, I was walking towards it, and I'm, from a distance, I thought it was, you know, pictures of stars, and then I got closer to it, and what I realized was this was pictures of galaxies. All these, all these things you see here are actually galaxies in our universe, and you begin to realize how big it is that here you have these galaxies in our, in our universe, between 100 to 300 billion galaxies with on maybe on average each galaxy containing 500 billion stars. That's big. That's huge. And we're on a tiny speck in a tiny galaxy and we think, people think, I got it all figured out. I got to tell you this, it takes more faith to be an atheist than to believe in God. You know, I show you this iPad and I got this iPad and we all know what an iPad can do. You said, well, an iPad's cool. Yeah, you got a touch screen on here. You can touch it, check your email. You can watch movies. You can surf the web all from this iPad. You can take pictures with it. I can take video with it. And so, iPads are amazing. They're great. But I don't think I could convince anyone in the United States of America or even in the Western world I said, well, look at this iPad. They say, wow, where, where'd you buy that from? I didn't buy it. I was in the kitchen washing dishes, and all of a certain, sudden I heard a snap, crackle, and pop in the living room, and it just appeared. <laughs> it just happened. It, everything must have just been perfect, and this iPad just came together out of nowhere. It was the most incredible thing. Nobody would believe me. They say, but you're crazy if you believe it just happened. You're not, no, it just happened. No, somebody designed, no, there is no designer. It just happened. People would think, I'm crazy if I went around saying that. How much more complicated is the body you live in than an iPad? How much more complicated, you think about the galaxies and the, I, I, don't even, I don't even know what you would, not even trillions, whatever numbers bigger than trillions of stars that exist in the galaxy that are there. That everything that has been created to simply look at it and to think it just happened. I think about that, the, the feeling you get when you look at a newborn baby, that feeling of love that you have to think it just happened happens the a feeling of affection what what happened when you looked into the face of your spouse for that first time and you fell in love when you look at the mountains and and everything that's around us the the feeling that we have to think that all of those things just happened rather than being created i'll tell you one thing that i agree with atheists is in the big bang theory i believe it the only difference is i believe god said let there be light and then bang <laughs> it happened and it's still, they will say, it's still expanding. In fact, one of the scientific theories is that energy can, can't just come from nowhere. Something has to start it. That's what they made up. And I think we got to this place where it's like the Bible and science. The, the Bible will complement science when you begin to look at it that way. And you begin to see these things. There's a creator. There's a creator. And if you're looking out and say, I got it all figured out. Now, there is no God. I, I'd say, look at it again. 
reevaluate, reevaluate everything again. You know, in closing today, after everything that happened, Peter turned his back. He denied Christ. You look, you look at what he did. He went back to the old life. He went back to fishing. He went back to what he knew. But isn't the grace and love of our Savior so amazing? Jesus found him. What did Jesus do? He asked him three times. He denied Christ three times. He asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? What did he do? He gave him the chance to, to be restored. And I believe that's what he wants to do with every single one of us. Maybe you've fallen away today. You can be restored. He loves you. He has a plan, I believe, for every single one of your lives. Can we close our eyes?